0: Hi, everybody. This is Gary Sandy, and thank you very much for listening to the WKRP
1: cast.
2: You're not a cop, are you? WKRP in Cincinnati.
1: Hey, fellow babies, welcome to a very special series capper episode to the WKRP cast. After watching and dissecting all 88 network episodes of WKRP, what's the absolute best possible thing that could happen short of a fifth season?
2: How about meeting the program director? We talked to Gary Sandy and it was a blast. We spoke to Gary on Monday afternoon, September 19th of 2022 That, of course, was the eve of the actual 40th anniversary of the final first-run episode. We explain why during the interview. Gary was incredibly generous with his time. And get ready, my children. He has some great stories.
1: A couple of notes about the interview. As we're talking... I'm looking at a screen with IMDb open on it. When a topic comes up, I'm searching for names. Gary is just sitting there on his phone. He's not looking at a screen. He's pulling names off the top of his head from 40 years ago. So when he mentions Youngblood, he's referring to Barry Youngfellow, who played Linda Taylor in the episode Love Returns.
2: Huge thanks, of course, to Gary Sandy for talking to us. But we'd also like to thank Mary Stone and Graham Springer. Gary is a busy guy. Scheduling this interview has been in the works for more than a year. Mary and Graham never gave up on us. Thank you.
1: Now let's get to the man himself. He played Andy Travis on all 88 network episodes of WKRP in Cincinnati. He's America's favorite program director, Mr. Gary Sandy. All right, you're on the record. All righty. Okay. Good afternoon good afternoon good, good.
2: afternoon
1: and hey, gary this is my good wife afternoon. donna to you both yes all thank right lay so it much. on me here what are we doing
2: yeah well first of all we want to thank you for taking the time to have this interview with us about wkrp in cincinnati
0: which is what uh now it's like went off the air what 40 how many years ago
1: tomorrow is is pretty cool we are talking on the eve of the 40th anniversary of the final first run episode on September 20th of 1982, they ran Impossible Dream, the one where uh, Richard Sanders dresses in drag. So they're not running them in order? I, uh, I don't
0: remember that being uh, the actual last episode.
1: Well, what we discovered, and this is something, you know, we've been doing this podcast for about two years now, so we've been pretty immersed in all this stuff. And something that one of our contributors discovered there were two episodes right there towards the end to as human the one where herb accidentally winds up on the stand-up barbecuing which was a hilarious episode that one and then this one where les was in drag both got pulled they were supposed to run in april of 80. oh you said herb was in drag so less right oh, no right Les was right. less was in drag yeah Les was in drag in this in, right, in the right, impossible right. dream but yeah these uh these uh these two got pulled and then the last one up and down the dial where you find out that mama Carlson really wanted the station to lose money and that's the reason the station exists and that was really the last episode of the season but they pulled these two I think they were panicking programming wise because things weren't going well in the spring and then in the summer with the reruns it became a hit it started hitting top 10 You had a number four one week, uh, one of the episodes. So they pulled these two off the shelf that they hadn't run in April. They ran one in August, and then this one wound up being the last new one that they aired. Wasn't intended. I'm sure it wasn't supposed to, but it but it wound up running into the fall of '82. Well, that's wow. That's not the way
0: I remember it at all. I mean, I the, the the last episode that we ever recorded. Let's put it that way. Um, Because I've often said, I think that if you ever want to see what uh, what Sandy intended for the character of Travis, um, you would have to see them in the order we recorded them, not how they were aired, how they were recorded. Ah. Uh, And what I tried to do, um, because, you know, he was supposed to be a whiz kid that, you know, moves around the country and, and and. And makes uh, stations profitable, and then moves on to another thing. But he 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 can't leave the Cincinnati station because number one, it's uh, it's it's something that is it's really something he has to work at to bring this station around. Plus the fact he falls in love with the people. So what I tried to do along the way is making make him come across as a little bit more crazy like the rest of them. <laughs> and so if you to get that, you would have to see it in the order we recorded them. So the last one we recorded uh, is the one where Travis gets the cake in his face.
1: Right. That was up and down the dial. Uh, that's the one where and you guys wind dial. up being so number six. That was the six. last one we ever recorded. Yeah, you wound up being number six that's that's the one that really really was the the capper that was the season finale but yeah that's the one where at the end Herb uh, trips over leslie's recorder and and douses you with cake <laughs> you know it's,
0: it's it's tough it's tough for me i i think we talked about this when i called you the first time um Howard and I used to have discussions about how many episodes there really were, and he said 90 and I said 92, or I said 90 and he said 92, I don't know. And then, and then I said we were both right because there were two episodes that were an hour long, and you said there were actually 88 episodes, is that right? Right,
1: right. There, there were 88 original first run because two of them ran as an hour, but then for syndication, they had to cut those into half hours. So you wound up with 90 syndication episodes. 90.
0: Okay, well, so that, that makes sense. You know, and uh, another thing which is would be really interesting, I don't know how many I've actually got because what I started doing, you know, and it, it, it would depend on how good the quality was when I transferred stuff, but I slowly but surely took a lot of the episodes out uh, of the, uh, M, uh, they allowed me to do it. I wasn't, you know, sealing them or anything. And I uh, took them out and transferred. So I have a lot of the episodes with the blacks. You know, when I did soap operas, um, they even, you know, the first one I did was live as the world turns, and then the other ones I did were live tape. So even though they were taped, they treated it as though it was live. So they would they would cut for a minute to the blacks, um, so it, whereupon they would slip in the commercials later on, and then they would come back to the floor just as though it was live, five, four, three, two, one, and go. The point being that uh, uh, a lot of the KRP stuff that we did, when we did this in front of a live audience, we would just go full tilt. Actually, I take a little bit of credit for this. I never got the credit, but uh, it was my suggestion because of the soap stuff. What they initially started to do, just like every other sitcom, they would have two tapings on a Friday night in front of a live audience. And then inevitably, you would make mistakes in both episodes, both tapings. And then you would have to stay around till the wee hours for pickups. I said, why don't you tape the, rehe- the, the, the camera rehearsal, Friday afternoon. So that's what they started doing. So we would go through the entire shlo- show slowly and, until we had the whole entire thing in the can. And we were better rehearsed than ever before because we, we would like to do maybe a scene two or three times until they had it the way they wanted it and then move on. And then that night, we would do it in front of a live audience only once, full tilt. And we didn't have any pickups because you already had the show in the can. And then we would go home. We'd go home like it. I don't remember. It eight thirty nine o'clock. And it was just really cool. You know, we would uh, – uh, they'd say, that's it. Thank you. And the audience would applaud. And we would all run out and, you know, wave and all that stuff. And then we'd go to our dressing room. So that, I mean, I could have lived in my dressing room. My dressing room was great uh, <laughs> right outside the stage door. And, um, uh, and your script would be there, laying there in your dressing room ready for – you to go home and look at it that weekend and ready to come back on a Monday for uh, for the table read in front of the um, network executives. So anyway, the, the reason I brought up the blacks and all that other stuff. Oh, yeah. So I have them, when I took them out from the studio to transfer, they had the blacks. This was before they were ever aired. And so some of that stuff would be interesting to see because throughout the eons, slowly but surely, some of those um, – some of those shows were missing a minute or two because in syndication, they wanted more commercials. So some of those, some of those shows aren't in its, in its entirety.
1: Well, actually they've cut them down by as many as two minutes and 15 seconds. Well, there Uh, you go. It'd be interesting to see what's actually missing. The hoodlum rock episode. I know where detective came on and they, you know, were the, the scum of the earth their entire performance <laughs> at the end of that is cut out that's what they cut for syndication you know that that that's one of my favorite episodes i i thought that with the stage
0: direction in the script was one of the funniest things I ever I I just uh it said scum enters.
2: <laughs> they are
0: it, it scum enters. They are dressed in three-piece suits and carry briefcases. They are so weird. They are straight. <laughs> I just thought that was hilarious. And and I love that Carlson, they walk in and they say, hello, you know, and the, and the signs there, you know, welcome yep. scum. Yep. And they walk in and they say, hello, we're scum of the earth. And Carlson says, no. And they said, <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know, and, and another thing that happened, those guys were so, the, the writing staff, it was at the MTM studios, uh, you know, CBS MTM, and it was you, when you came through the gate. You could see the offices because the building was right there in front. So as you're driving in, if you look up like three stories or whatever it is, there was the windows of the offices for, uh, for KRP, Hugh and those guys. And they took there was a national thing where all of the owners from all of the stations converged at MTM Studios for a some kind of thing on the back lot and it was like a western back lot and they had barbecue and stuff. So as they're coming in, those guys hang, hung that sign out of the window saying, Welcome Scum. <laughs> and Grant Tinker called over there, Take
2: that thing! <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, that, that just killed me. I thought that was hilarious.
1: We did want to ask you something. The first season... You did over at KTLA, and then second through fourth, you moved over to Radford. What was that like, uh, shooting at KTLA for one? I heard a a lot of what we've read is it was pretty rustic. You didn't have great dressing
0: rooms. No, there there was no dressing rooms at all. What they did was they put up two-by-fours or whatever and had muslin... (laughs) Uh, and so everybody had a little cubby hole to where you'd go into your dressing room to get dressed, and it was actually on the uh, on the stage, uh, on the same um, in the same soundstage, or you know the one over from each other. They were shooting Mork and Mindy, and they were shooting uh, the Na Show. And um, a good buddy of mine, Johnny Contardo, was the lead singer of Na Na. So I got to know this guy by going over and watching some of the taping. Uh, And then um, they sent. um, This is years later, or you know, after the show was off the air or whatever. They sent myself and Jan Smithers. um, A a radio station in South Africa brought Jan and me over for a big deal thing where there's a hundred thousand people called the Rand Easter Show, and we appeared waved in front of these hundred thousand people because KRP was a big hit in South Africa. Who knew? Wow. So the reason I brought that up is because uh then Jan flew on back, but I went on up to a game uh, reserve uh in um uh, in the jungles and went on a safari oh, and cool. uh and on that safari I re- the the other guy that was there at the same time was Johnny Contardo from Shawn <laughs> and his wife. <laughs> and it was like, What? Contardo in the middle of <laughs> the African jungles, right? anyway just a little little little, as lord buckley used to say i got these little wig bubbles
1: (laughs) (laughs) now you know who lord buckley was i i remembered the name what is it from
0: oh he's he he was just a, a well he was a comic who did a lot of recordings um he had two um famous ones. The, the one was called the Naz, and it was about Jesus Christ, the Naz as a Nazareth. Ah, okay. And uh, the other one is um, the oration speech from uh, Julius Caesar. Friends, Romans country and, you know, lend me your ears. Lord Buckley was um, apparently he got started uh, around the time when the, the dance marathons were going on. So he was the master of ceremonies for like hours and hours and hours of dance marathons. So he would just talk. So he developed this thing. He, he had a handlebar mustache and he wore a pith helmet. So his version of the oration speech was hipsters, flipsters, and finger popping daddies, knock <laughs> me your lobes. <laughs> I'll get off that subject. Anyway, Lord Buckley would always have wig bubbles and uh, Sandy is having a bunch of wig bubbles now. Ah,
2: okay. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Here we are. We are talking about this show 40 years after it went off the air. Did you have a sense during the production or was it later where you thought I might just be talking about this show 40 years from now did, did that ever hit oh, you no 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 was... I knew
0: it I knew it uh, and I'm not I'm not just saying this I knew it uh, the moment I read the script I I I'm not kidding you uh, you know, I've often said that uh, actors, the amount of stuff that we get, as opposed to what you didn't get, is just minuscule. I mean, you you don't get like you know you get like five percent of what you ever won up for or whatever. Uh, but as soon as I read that script, I number one, I really wanted it, and uh, number two, I was positive it would work because I'd been hanging around long enough to know what. And and I thought it was interesting because it was about something. It took place in an, an environment that wasn't just I always laughingly said it wasn't just, you know, some family uh, sitcom where, you know, Johnny breaks his ball bat. What are we going to do about it? You know? it was about something. And I thought it was extremely funny. And um, I had screen tested a couple of times for some other sitcom and they brought me back. And it was between me and the guy that got it. I don't know over at CBS. And uh, I don't remember what it was. Anyway, he got it and uh, the show never went anywhere. But on the strength of that, CBS called the casting guy at MTM and said, we want you guys to see this guy. And the casting guy says, oh, I know who he is. Uh, I don't think." He's right, and CBS said, "Yeah, well, you're going to see him." And so CBS pushed me into the the audition. And when I went in, I read with the guy that was the casting guy at the time, and I knew it was going well. And he had egg on his face when when I finished. I thought that worked. They were like, "Uh, "Yeah, uh, where where are you going right now?" I said, "Well, I'm you know going back home." He said, "Well, you know, just keep in touch with your agent." (laughs) So and then, and then we screen tested for that i think maybe only once and i read with gordon jump and, and the interesting thing about that was i had gone to see a taping of uh, soap it was a um, a sitcom about soap operas and uh, Gordon was the the guy that was just a a one-episode thing. A A murder had happened, and Gordon played the cop that was going around the room telling everybody why they could be the person that did it. Along the way, as he's going around the room, he gets totally confused. He was absolutely fantastic. And so here I am, reading with this guy that I'd just seen the week before at this taping. And I thought, this guy's great. And then I find out he's from Dayton, Ohio, and I'm from Dayton, Ohio. The then casting lady, Jerry Windsor, who took over uh, at MTM, said to me one time, hey, would you like to see the the tape of the auditions? I said,
2: yeah, oh, wow. so she yes. go,
0: take it out and take it home. And I, I don't have a copy of it. And I don't know who the other 10 guys were. Probably somebody that we know these days. I don't I don't know on that day in that taping for that screen test. I deserved that part. I you, really When I watched it, I just watched it and I said, you know, I was trying to be as, as honest as possible. And I thought, you know, I did the best job. So anyway,
1: <laughs> you mentioned being born in Dayton. You lived in Moraine, yes. Ohio. You went to school at Wilmington College in Ohio. Andy Travis was from Santa Fe. But do you think all of your Ohio-ness helped you get the role?
0: Uh, no, I think what helped me get the role, unbeknownst to me, when I went to Wilmington College, I, I got a, like an assistantship, little scholarship, because they had a, a one-act play contest when I was senior in high school, and uh, it was a two-character play, and we took it to the state finals, and I won All-State Actor. And one of the judges was the professor of uh, theater at Wilmington College. So he came up to me and said, why don't you go to a good school? And I said, oh, really? Well, where, where's the good school? He said, Wilmington. And I said, Wilmington, because my grandmother, my mother's mother lived on the other side of Wilmington. So we would go through there all the time to go to grandma's house. And I said, that school? He said, yeah. He says, it's a great theater school. So I wound up going there and it was, it was a really good little theater school. It was just terrific. So he comes up to me about the second year I'm in there. He says, what are you doing here? He said, you know, you're really not doing very well in all of the other subjects that you have to take here at the, at the college. Uh, it's obvious this is what you should do. She says, I think you should leave. I think you should go to New York City. So I told my dad, and he just went ballistic. I was seeing a girl at the time whose father was in radio, and he had a national called Dr. IQ, I think it was called. It was a, it was a national uh, show. And he and my dad got together and got into cahoots and they talked me into going to a broadcasting school in Atlanta, Georgia. So I went to this school, was the president of the class, and all this kind of stuff. And so, and then I auditioned locally for the American Academy of Dramatic Arts in New York and got into the school. So when that course was over in Atlanta, I went to the American Academy in New York. But I think in retrospect, my involvement in the radio aspect of that probably was ingrained in me somewhat. So when I walked in, I kind of knew a little bit about radio.
2: Now, Gary, before WKRP, you'd done a lot of drama, some heavies, a few bad guys. Was comedy something that you'd been interested in before WKRP?
0: Yeah, yeah. um, The um, when I was in the sixth grade, I remember looking forward to a seventh grade speech class. And in that speech class, I did a Bob Newhart stand-up monologue. Oh. And the the uh, speech teacher said, would you do that for the school assembly? We're having wow. a talent show. Do that. So I remember coming out between the curtains to, and, and onto that stage just as though it was yesterday. I remember it so well. I was in the seventh grade and I did this Bob Newhart monologue. And the next day, everybody in that school treated me differently. The teachers, the students, everybody treated me differently. And I thought, wait a minute, I'm on to something. This is <laughs> and, and, the, and the and the teacher you know, looked down at me and, and, and I'm looking at her and, she, and one of the teachers says, You're not going to remember what I'm saying now. And I remember everything that she said. She said, you have a thing called comedic timing that might be very valuable to you someday.
2: (laughs) Oh, wow.
0: That's exactly right. So anyway, but so when I went on the soaps, I always played the heavies. And how that came about was... um, There was a woman, I still remember her name, uh, was a casting lady for CBS in New York. Her name was Jean Arley. So I go in to to read for uh, As the World Turns. It was about the Hughes family, and the lead character was a guy by the name of Tom Hughes. And Tom Hughes was just back from Vietnam and he was real troubled and stuff like that. So I go in to read for this part and I sit there and I talk with this lady and we talk for about five or 10 minutes and she says, oh, th- she's a very, very, very nice young man. Thank you so much for coming in. And I said, wait a minute. I thought I, I got was going to get the chance to read. She says, well, Tom is very troubled at this particular point. She says, I just don't think you're right. You're You're, you're a very nice guy and he's very troubled. And I said, well, I thought that's what acting was. You got a chance to be somebody else. And she stopped and she says, yeah, you're right. You're right. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Look. And she threw this <laughs> the script down of the scene and she says, okay, you got five minutes. So I go out and, and I read the, sc- the scene about two or three times and I came back in and I laid this, this script down and she says, you don't need that? I said, no, I, I got it memorized. And she said, Really? So she reads with me. When we stopped, she said, "I've been in this business. You know, I it sounds like I'm bragging here, but I'm just telling you what happened." And she says, "I've been in this business for 40 years and I have never been as wrong." She said, "The problem is now that you you're coming off too troubled." she says i don't think you're right for the part because you're too troubled she says i'm telling you what in in one month from now i will have a part in this show for you so they wrote in a part of tom hughes's roommate in college who was a dope pusher that had him on drugs and i played the dope pusher so i started playing all these heavies i did like three or four different soaps and uh, i was always the bad guy hugh wilson's wife charters, Wilson knew me from the soaps
1: and told Hugh, you you can't hire that guy. He's nuts. <laughs> <laughs> so what was it like making that pivot to a sitcom after being a drug pusher and a heavy? And it was absolutely perfect timing. You know,
0: I was doing all this stuff in New York, you uh, know, all the soaps and uh, doing off Broadway and things like that. But what I really wanted to do, was I wanted to do Broadway. I wanted to do Broadway. I finally got a Broadway show before KRP, but then parts that I wanted on Broadway were being taken away by guys who had television credits. So I got ticked off, and at 30 years old, I said, okay, that's it. I'm going to California. I'm going to get a TV series, and I'm going to come back to Broadway. So I go to California, and I did like two or three movies of the week and, you know, guest spots on Starzy and Hutch and all this kind of stuff, playing an insane guy. And uh, KRP happened. And I knew when I read that thing, I knew what the network wanted. They wanted a young leading man kind of guy, cute, and you know, and that's why I did the tight jeans thing, and that's why I did the hair thing, and all this stuff, because what they really <laughs> wanted is they wanted a cute guy. The transition that I made was giving them what I knew they
1: wanted. You brought up your hair. Your hair was
0: <laughs> yeah, your right. hair
1: was number two on the call sheet. It had to have been. <laughs> 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 but there were times, though, there were several times, and we started referring to them as hair gags, where you let them mess it up, you let them put things oh, in yeah, it. Well, well, it got to be, it, it, you know, and, and the thing of it was, was, you know, when
0: when I got to New York, when I was like 21 years old or 20 or whatever it was, I was like really straight, you know, I mean, I had that flat top and all this kind of stuff. So when I first went to the American Academy, I was just and the whole generational thing has happened. And then I went to Woodstock and everything. So my hair was literally a hell of a lot longer than it was when I did KRP. Uh, So I had pretty much cut it off and stuff, even though it was long. But it was short compared to the way I was wearing it in, in uh, the lab, the latter part of uh, of New York. Yeah, it was. You know, I mean, uh, unbeknownst to me, suddenly, you know, the hair thing's becoming a, a big thing. Where they say, "You yeah, have really great hair." <laughs> so when they said, you know, we, we need to, like, deal with this hair thing, I said, but do whatever you want to do. I don't care. And, and so that was the whole messing up stuff. Well,
1: and that's unusual because usually a leading man kind of guy, you don't mess with the hair. But but we love the fact that you let them get in there, mess with your hair and have some fun with well, it. I think the thing, you know, and, and it, it, it it sounds like it's.
0: Not true, but it's really honestly the truth. Gordon Jump and I would do anything that the network or that the Hugh Wilson asked us to do. We were there out promoting the show as best as we could all the time. So any time that I ever argued with Hugh, you know, Hugh and I had this love-hate relationship. He, <laughs> he, he was like, oh, God, here he comes again. You know, I was always in his office saying, you know, you, you guys really, you don't know how to write for the straight guy. You know, because and and boy, that used to tick him off because it it was true. I mean, they could write gags and stuff, but it was tough writing for the straight guy. So I was always in there arguing for the Travis character, the the program director. I was always arguing for that. And he used to say, "Ah, Gary, you just want more attention. I said to that's not true at all. I'm not in here arguing for Gary Sandy. I'm in here arguing for Andy Travis. And two or three times, and I don't know whether Hugh knew it or not, but I'd go over to Grant Tinker's office, and I'd complain over to Grant Tinker's office. And he one time said to me, Gary, Mary used to come in here all the time with the same kind of concerns. And I said, yeah, but I said, the difference is, Grant, that it was called the Mary Tyler Moore Show. I said, <laughs> I'm in here arguing for the character of Andy Travis. I'm not in here for Gary Sandy. And I said, I'm just telling you, I think there have been some tough times over there. And so... so... So I think he really kind of started paying attention a little bit and uh, and started talking to Hugh about what are you going to do about this character? You can
1: tell as the seasons progressed, you went from being the straight guy to getting more laugh lines. You started doing physical bits. Do you remember doing the fill-in guy for Venus where you were Apollo flytrap? Do you remember that? <laughs> yeah, I did. I hadn't thought about it until right now. That, that is, is one really of the funny. funniest bits on the show. I, I, I,
0: I, I had forgot about that. <laughs> you know, one of the things now that not to change the subject, but one of the things that I've always um, there, there was there was a scene at the end of um it was like, you know, I don't know, maybe the eighth or ninth or I don't know what what which one it was that we was shot it's where Travis's girlfriend comes in it was a girl from the past who is now supposedly some sort of rock singer you know that was singer. love, love yeah. returns one of the things that's embarrassing to me actually the the ending scene was Travis in the control booth on the air and it was a very well written scene it it shows him that he knows what he's doing in the control booth and he knows what he's doing and he dedicates this song, Little River Band, uh, Friday night, it was late, I was walking you home, and got down to the gate. and It was just a perfect song to fade out and uh, dedicated it to her. I don't know whether Howard, you know, I, I'll, I'll never know this for sure, but Howard's standing there watching this, and as soon as that scene's over with, he splits. And he goes, I think, and said, now, wait a minute. Are you going to start putting him in the in the booth? Because I thought we were the DJs. I don't know for a fact that he, he did that. The next thing I know, the scene is cut, and they show us walking in the park. Yeah. And with what well, I've got the world's biggest cowboy hat on, which is embarrassing. Uh, and it's just this scene of us lovey-dovey walking in this park, you know. And I thought, oh, man, because I loved the scene. I thought the scene in the booth was just really cool. Oh. Uh, but you'll never know because because they cut it.
2: We've heard from so many guest stars that we've interviewed about the amazing cast chemistry on the set, and how welcoming you all were. And Absolutely. how long do you think it took for that chemistry to happen?
0: Oh, I, it was immediate. I'm, I'm serious. It was immediate. I mean, I'm in awe, actually. I think like one of the like the fifth or sixth show we ever did is less on a ledge
2: Mm -hmm, Uh, Less on a ledge. You know, it has
0: the two the two running gags. The the one gag is, is that less goes out on the ledge because he's threatening to jump because someone's at the locker room at the stadium. They barred him because someone said they thought he was gay or something. And the other storyline is in order to get Herb off of Jennifer's back. Johnny tells Herb she used to be a guy.
2: Yes, that was hilarious. So there's
0: these two storylines running at the same time. So everybody's getting confused because it's the two storylines going on. It is absolutely one of my favorites, I think, because of the day and age um, when they first started uh, running KRP again, on you know, a year or two ago, whenever it was uh, on MeTV T V. They they didn't run that episode, and I thought, what a shame! Is, is is that a comment on what you're not allowed to put on the air these yeah. days? Because it's funny, it's it's yeah. a tongue and cheek funny funny show. We were we were terrific in that in that episode, and and that was like the fifth or sixth one. So right away we were going, and and Howard and Frank Bonner are are absolutely hilarious. And so, no, I think right off the bat, patting myself on the back again a little bit, becoming from the soaps where I was used to the four camera situation on that Friday night when we shot that pilot. And Travis has a lot to do with it. You know, I knew how to do four camera. And so uh, it worked that particular night. And I, I was real proud of myself for uh, not screwing up. <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> the show touched on some very uh sensitive topics oh, for yeah. that time. And
0: well the who the Who concert and
1: Suicide, homosexuality, know. gender gender transition. Well and that's Hugh. I mean, Hugh
0: listen, Hugh Hugh was a genius. I I i, I honestly God, he was really a funny guy, you know, but very egotistical. Hugh. I mean, I I told it to his face. He he said to me once, he said, you know, Sandy, he said, you're a strange guy. I said, oh, really, Hugh? Why? Because I tell the truth? You know, I, I, I said, as opposed to sometimes producers don't particularly tell the truth. Oh. You know, so so we had that kind of relationship. But I tell you, I mean, Hugh and I really did get along and I I'd go visit him, you know, and uh, they lived in Charlottesville afterwards. And uh, I saw him not too long before he uh, before he passed away. He was really a, a talented guy, man. We would read that script at that table reading. And immediately, those guys would get up and go, and they would start rewriting, because Hugh automatically knew what didn't work, and they would start writing, rewriting right away.
2: He was that good.
0: Oh, he was great. The whole staff was great.
1: We talked to Max Tash, who worked on both, Max worked on both the original and the new WKRP, and he said the biggest difference was no Hugh. Hugh did review some of those early scripts on the new WKRP, but then he was not involved in it. And Max said that was the big difference.
0: Well, I didn't know that, actually. I didn't know he was not involved in it. Um, Seriously, because he called me. And said, I think we got a chance to do uh, the, this thing in syndication uh, for a cable or whatever. Uh, you interested? I said, absolutely not. He said, really? He said, we really we really can't pay uh, much money. I said, Hugh, why don't you just leave well enough alone? I said, I think that uh, you try to redo it. I said, I don't I, I don't think that's a good idea, Hugh. I said, I, I really have no interest. So he said, we. So I just assumed that Hugh uh, was a part of
1: the of this of the new thing. I. I well, I didn't know that. Bill Dial was the showrunner, and, you know, they had that falling out in season two, and Max said that Hugh and I never – I don't know what that was about. Do you? Well, we kind of have – we've had two or three different people tell us. Uh, it was in the writer's room. It was late at night. It was a big disagreement Correct. that the two of them had. And actually, uh, Tom there Wells – There have been
0: alcohol involved.
1: Yeah, yeah. Tom Wells' wife told <laughs> us uh, – Hugh came over right after it happened, and they were friends with both Hugh and Bill. But I guess Bill unleashed a shot glass at Hugh's head. Correct. Correct. Yeah. And, and
0: I, I guess it, it it could have really done some damage if he well, had a duct and, or something I guess. And I
1: guess a glass coffee table got broken. There was some physicality That's to right. it. That's right. Hugh told Tom, he said, what could I do? I had to fire him.
0: You know, and Bill, you know, I really got along with Bill. I got along with, uh, you know, I I like to thank everybody. And Bill was really good as Bucky Dornster.
2: Yes. <laughs>
0: <laughs> the engineer who wore... Um, Rubber sold shoes in case the uh, lightning struck the building. We
1: loved him in the holdup where he walked by the gunman to go get his lunch. He wasn't putting up with that. That's right. That's, that's
0: <laughs> with, now that that's a funny episode too. Now see now, the, Howard was really good at getting his buddies from the uh, the committee, yes. uh, the improvisational group on that show. And uh, uh, oh, uh, what's his name? What was his name? The Hamilton that, Camp. Hamilton Camp. Yeah. Hamilton Camp. Who played? who he says, I know, I know, Johnny, call me crazy. (laughs) (laughs) You're
1: you're crazy, Del. (laughs) There was some funny stuff on that show, man. And, you know, he came back, Hamilton Camp was a recurring character. He came back then as Johnny's ex-wife's new fiancé. Entirely different character. The only time that you see me just about
0: go... And crack up is an episode towards the end where um, Carlson's mother comes on to me. Yes. Yes. And says, yes. why don't we run away together? Why don't I'll we'll take so her right.
2: Oh, wow, that so- is hilarious.
0: Frank Bonner directed that episode. Frank was a good director, man. And he directed that episode and uh, really helped me out with that. So she chases me around the pool table and everything. So, um, so at one particular point, Carlson Gordon is, um, has to put the balls up on the table to, um, to rack them up, put them in, in formation there. And so he's going around the table and I'm standing there kind of egg on my face because she's come on to me and he doesn't know it. And I'm standing there like freaked out because I, I don't know what to say to her. And he's running around the table. She says, excuse me, mom, excuse me. I'm trying to find, I'm trying to find my balls.
2: Yes, yes he could not find one. Was that, was that in the script? Right,
0: right. or or, or I, I, I'm trying to find all the, I'm trying to find the balls. I just about go. Was Was that an ad lib on his part? But but I have a suspicion that Gordon all automatically knew that if he couldn't find those, that's what he was going to say. I don't know for a fact because it was was, so apropos for the moment. I just about go. I just about lost it.
2: (laughs) Because when we watched that, I even told Alan. I said, "I bet that was an ad lib," and nobody cracked up. They all stayed in character.
0: One of my biggest regrets, uh, truly, is. uh not taking um oh my god now I'm now I'm I, I can't remember names anymore. It's just terrible. Uh, Hirsch is played by um Oh uh, the the, the butler. I
2: loved Hirsch in Wolf.
0: I mean he's famous. He's in He's in Clark Gable's "Mutiny on the Bounty." That's my biggest regret is that I didn't get to know him. Um, I, I'd love to have taken him to, to, to lunch. I should have done it because I'm so big on on old movies and stuff. And now when I see him and all of these things, it's like, oh man, what a <laughs> what, what a mistake! I really should have gotten to know him.
1: Well, well, hey, could could we talk a minute about Carol Bruce? Because you had. Oh, she was
0: wonderful. Carol took over for Sylvia Sidney. Sylvia Sidney was the original on the on the pilot, and she came in with her dogs and stuff. You know, she would come to the set with her dogs, and she just—I don't think. Well, I know for a fact she totally underestimated what that show was gonna be. She just didn't understand. I'd run into her a couple of times in New York afterwards and the show is still going on. You know, we're still recording the show. And I ran into her in the hotel and she just, oh Gary, I'm so, I just didn't understand. I love the show. I watch it all the time. I've heard that a friend of hers was Carol Bruce and that she recommended Carol for the job. I don't know if that's true or not. Carol was um, a
1: Broadway star, a uh, singer. She was discovered by Irving Berlin. Right. I mean, oh, come yeah. on. I thought she was perfect for
0: the part and um, very, um, she, she came across as the, as the woman who owned the station. I yeah. mean, she owned it. She was intimidating. Intimidating. Absolutely, you know.
2: Yes.
0: Intimidating enough that Travis would get liquored up and go in there and say,
1: <laughs> I, and then and, and, and pass out or something. <laughs> yes, I'm tired of your crud.
0: <laughs> we were talking about the uh, the writers up there late at night in the in the room up there. Hugh came in one time. He said, uh, "I'd I, I still laugh about this day." He said, "You know," he says, "I'm writing last night and I'm having a few cocktails." And he says, "Finally, I just had one too many." I fell down and hit the coffee table and I jumped up and I said, that will never happen again. So I moved the coffee table.
1: (laughs) 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 Was Carol, it was Carol Bruce. a cut up. Was she a jokester? She seems like somebody that would probably be a real hoot. Once again, you know, I, I should have,
0: I should have gone out and had dinner with, uh, with Carol on the set. she, she didn't, Really, uh, maybe she did more with the with the ladies, I don't know, but I never really had uh, any cut up times with her or anything like that this to, to speak of uh, as much as we all got along and we really did when it came right down to it, uh, everybody was there for business i mean we 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 got the job done uh, and then whenever we would get together for a party or something like that we'd have we'd have a good time, you know. Richard, as less, was just incredible. Richard's a strange guy, but he's but he's not less. He really created that part. I mean, he he knew exactly what he was going to do every moment. He knew when he was going to turn a page in a book, he knew exactly what was going on. Everybody was terrific. I mean, Howard. Howard, I, I've always heard, went up for the role of Herb. And Yes, and he was he originally
1: to, considered for Herb because of work he'd done on soap. He was an executive on soap, and they thought, oh, he's a perfect Herb. He was an executive on soap. Yeah, he played an executive, played an executive, played a part. Oh, whoa, 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 whoa. Okay, there you go. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, he got a character. Not, not character.
2: <laughs>
1: yeah, you know, but everybody, Tim,
0: he was so cool. And uh as as Venus, um uh, and it just he had some good stuff, you know, when it when it came to the, who was Gordon Sims? Um,
2: oh, yeah.
0: Right, uh he was terrific. Um uh, Lonnie was absolutely gorgeous, Jan. They dressed Jan down because Jan had uh, an incredible figure. They dressed her loose fitting. Uh, There was was an episode. I'm sorry.
2: She was kind of frumpy at the beginning. They dressed her frumpy and like a lot older than she was.
0: Well, you know, there was an episode where it's filthy pictures where uh, the guy is taking pictures of. Of her in the dressing room while they're getting ready for some photo shoot or something like that, right? Yeah, it's in, in, in a bathing suit. It was supposed to be Lonnie and Jan, and Lonnie refused to do it.
2: Oh,
1: Lonnie! No, no, oh.
0: I mean Jan refused. The Lonnie suit. refused to do it if Jan was going to be in a bathing suit. Okay. Right. Oh, right. So uh, you know, and and I understand. I mean, I I understand because she was fighting for you know her her image in, in the in the part. So uh, these guys came to me after the taping of the episode before, and as we were going to the dressing room, they said, "So uh, you'll see in the script that you got there in your dressing room. You'll 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 be ready for your bathing suit scene next week." And I laughed and said. Yeah. (laughs) right so i go in and they got me in the bathing suit with her
2: oh you were hilarious So i'm
0: I'm standing with a great big beach ball in front of me with white stuff on my nose or something yes Uh, so that's how they solved the problem they just put me in there instead of jan
1: so lonnie was cool being on uh sharing the screen with you in a bathing suit huh (laughs) Well, yeah, whatever. I'm I'm, I'm just I'm just I'm simply saying that,
0: that literally they had to dress Jan down because she had a tremendous
1: figure.
2: Oh, it was still apparent, even though they were dressing her down. It was very apparent.
1: And, you know, from our Facebook page and all the feedback we get from the listeners to the podcast, there's a big, big Jan fan club out there. Oh,
2: yeah. Big Jan following.
1: Jan Jan's a very very nice person, very
0: very nice girl. I tell you, man. After uh, after the show was over, there was a party of, of which um, uh, I don't remember if it was Hugh's house or or wherever, but uh, made whole for me by the fact that Martin Short was there. I think Martin Short's the funniest human being on the face of the planet. He just kills me anyway. So I, I kind of met him a little bit that day. But anyway, Jan walks in, you know, and I don't think anybody knew they were dating at the time and they finally wound up getting married, but she walked in with James Brolin. Mm-hmm. And I'm telling you you talk about a Hollywood couple. He looked fantastic and he was <laughs> handsome as hell. And uh, I thought, Oh my God, is this Hollywood or what? You know, <laughs>
2: Now one of my favorite guest stars during the whole run of the show is Edie McClurg. I now, thought I knew you she were gonna was going to say that. What are your impressions about her? Oh, she was hilarious. For... Uh-huh, uh-huh. I mean
0: that episode uh-huh. that episode where um it's uh, uh, they, they go on a game show or something
1: like that?
2: Yeah, the, the family real you know, families.
1: Real families. Real family. They follow them around with a camera. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> oh, you know, Come on. Frank Bonner
0: Frank Bonner was a great man. I oh, tell you. The greatest man in the world though was Gordon Jump. Gordon Jump was the greatest human being in the world.
2: Everybody's a nice that. man. Everybody we've talked to has said that.
0: Oh, he's he was just terrific. You know, he was very religious guy. He was Mormon. And one time he said, you know, if you ever want to know anything about my uh, my religion, um, just come and ask me. And that's the only time he ever said anything, and he because so he didn't push anything. He wasn't that kind of guy. Uh, one of the one of the things which is really weird, someone sent it to me, or I had it in my files or something. When I was in high school in uh, in Kettering, Ohio, there was a periodical that came out called Spotlight or something like that. They were highlighting me for. Junior Achievement, uh, all Dayton Junior Achievement, and there's a picture of me in there, and the, uh, the editor of that particular thing was Gordon Jump. Oh, wow. And there's a picture of Gordon Jump in the same periodical uh, with me in a flat top uh, in, in uh, a senior in high school, and there's Gordon looking very dashing in that same thing. Unbelievable gordon nicest man but but frank you know frank was just it frank was a nice guy he was really a nice guy and I became very fond of howard after the show was over um you know he married a french lady and uh he was spent half of his time in in uh, paris and and uh half the time in la and uh so i i rented his flat a couple of times in paris and uh, oh nice so i got to know uh I got to know Howard, uh, we had uh, lunch together, I don't know five, six years ago or whatever in LA, when I was in LA, and uh, and we're sitting there, and he finally says to me, he says, well, I guess you've noticed, and I said, yeah, and he said, yeah, that's, I got the beginnings of Parkinson's, and uh, he says, I take 17 pills a day, that's, it was complications I think from, is what got Howard, but yeah. Um, no. Anyway, I'm not telling anything. It's uh, He was just a, a really nice guy. Yeah. Everybody was just terrific. You know, right. and, and Lonnie and I really got along. The people that are left, we still get together. The only one that we don't hear from is is Richard. He lives in Seattle. And I've done like two or three different national tours. And uh, and I played Seattle, you know, out of the 55 cities each tour. The first two, Arsenic and Lace and um, Breaking Legs, it was called, uh, Richard showed up. And so we hung out together a little bit in uh, in Seattle. But the last time when I did Best Little Warehouse in Texas, I call it,
2: <laughs>
1: with
0: my friend now Ann Margaret, uh, uh, Richard didn't show up. And I thought, it's a problem. So I, I got a hold of and I said, what's the deal? Where's Richard? I don't know. Nobody knows. So Richard doesn't keep in contact. And I don't know why that is.
1: But you think he is up in in the Seattle area? We've heard Washington State. Well, he was last time that I ever knew. Well, we've heard Washington State, and then somebody else said, oh, no, I think he's down in Florida. So they're not even sure where he is. Yeah. Oh, well, if that's the case, I mean, that's something I didn't know. Richard just does
0: not get a hold of anybody. I don't know uh, what that's all about. Richard, Richard and I were the only ones, really, that were pretty daggone vocal about the fact that we never got any money on that show. I mean, I'm telling you, we will be thought of as the 50s rock and rollers that made the 45s that didn't make anything. I'm telling you, it's been it's been at least 15 years since I've seen a dime. Wow. Hmm. Uh, and I know nothing coming in. And, and I, I contacted the union once and I said, hey, what's the deal? And, and the woman said, you know, somebody else just called about that not too long ago. Uh, we're 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 looking into that. Last thing I ever heard, that was about five years ago.
1: That, that looking into it is, I'd like to get you off the phone right now. So I'm going to tell you I'm going to look into it. <laughs> Goodbye. That's probably exactly what it is. Yeah.
0: <laughs> That's funny. Well, what else we got?
1: Now, you've talked about uh, some of your connections after the show, but going into the pilot, you said you'd seen Gordon perform. Did you know anybody else in the cast or had you worked with anybody else in the cast? Now, here's
0: a, here's a weird one. Uh, And I'm not even sure that I ever told Tim this. How old would I have been? I mean, I had to be like 19 years old or something like that, 20 years. I don't know. When I was going to that uh, broadcasting school in Atlanta, Georgia, I went and saw um, uh, the, the nightclub act. Of Tim and Tom, and we talked to Tom, Tom Dreesen and Tim Reed it was in Atlanta, yeah. Georgia. I just, for whatever reason, went into this uh, uh, comedy uh, thing or whatever the situation was and saw them perform. You know, not not knowing that I would ever be working with the guy, I wasn't aware of Lonnie. I wasn't aware of Jan uh, Howard. Somehow or another, I knew of Howard because of the uh, the improv uh, committee thing. Howard was really good at that at that stuff, that improv stuff. And I do not hesitate to tell anybody I, I, I can't do that, man. I just freeze up. I somebody says, "Okay, you're a doctor, and it's the emergency ward of the hospital. Go." Are you kidding me? You got to give me my lines and push me out there. I I, I I try to make it look like I made them up at the time, but no, man, it's my life is fully scripted.
1: <laughs> you mentioned Frank directing. I want to ask you about some of the directing. Rod Daniel was the had the yeah, most episodes. Rob was a nice guy too. And then Will right. McKenzie was second. And we've been told Rod yes. was really technical, where Will was more of a laid back kind of director. He was more of an actor's director. I, I
0: would imagine that's exactly true. That's exactly true. And that's remember- not taking anything away from the. The The guy that directed the pilot, Jay Sandridge. That was unfortunate for me for the character of Travis that Jay did not uh, do any more episodes after the pilot because Jay uh, directing a lot of the Mary Tyler Moore show, he would have had a good handle on the straight man keeping that in focus somehow or another. I got along with Will and I got along very well with uh, Rod. Rod and I, uh, he got mad at me once and it had something to do with, there was an episode where all of us, we, we did a take off on The Godfather. Yeah, Daydreams. Travis is 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 the Godfather and right. they're coming in and, and uh, you know, Howard plays it to the hilt, you know, coming in and kissing the ring and all this kind of stuff, you know. I think it had something to do with the fact that I had this it envisioned in my mind that the first shot that you would see of Travis would be in this chair and he, he slowly turns and he's the godfather. And I asked Rod for that shot. He said, you know, and, and uh, so I kept on him and on him and on him. I wanted that shot and he didn't want to do it. And I think that that was why we sort of got pissed off at each other. <laughs> <laughs> About something, and it lasted for like you know, uh, you know, thirty minutes, and
1: then that was it. That is a fun episode. That's got yeah, you're the Godfather.
2: Your hair is slicked back.
1: Frank is a dictator. Well, I, I had I
0: had come um, there. There's also that, and then there's also where I take over. Herb is gone somewhere or something. I have to do the the sales guy stuff for a for an episode or something and my hair is slicked back a little bit for that 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 is because I had done a production uh, during the summer months of Grease playing uh, Danny Zuko so oh. I had it cut for Grease.
1: <laughs> uh, well, you walked in in a suit in that one and nobody recognized you.
0: <laughs> it was an indication for me that uh, probably uh, I should have wore my hair a little shorter from the get-go because uh, <laughs> I rather, I, you know, it, certainly I don't have the face for it now, but back then it wasn't quite as lined as
1: it is now. <laughs> <laughs> Those are wisdom marks. It's, it's wisdom. Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> so when you think back over this series, you were in all 88 episodes, 90 total half hours, Do you group them in your head anyway? Do you think about them like uh, funniest or by seasons? Or how how do you think about the episodes? Well, I think that probably
0: when I think about some of those, I can pretty well, which ones I thought were the funniest and which ones were probably, you know, I'm aware of which ones were the first season and which ones probably were the last season. The middle stuff gets a little... um, cloudy for me and I'm quite sure that there are some episodes uh, because it always seems when they rerun stuff that they rerun kind of the same stuff or it's just that whenever I happen to catch one it's I always seem to catch the same stuff or something so I'm sure there's some episodes that I will be shocked that I didn't even remember doing there has to be some episodes in there for the second and third season it's like what, which Which one was that? And I and I, I thought before we sort of started this little interview thing here, I thought, I wonder if they're going to ask me about something and I'm going to say, I don't remember that at all.
1: <laughs> well, we're going to try not to do that to you, really. We, we don't want to do that to you.
0: Uh, 88 shows, um, uh, 90 half hours, there's got to be some stuff in there that it's like I just uh, don't remember that hardly at all. Yeah.
1: Oh yeah. So do, do you watch? Uh, you said you caught it a few times in syndication. Did you watch when you were when it was first run when it was new? Do you oh, have absolutely. the DVDs? You know.
0: Absolutely, and uh, Howard, uh, you know, I, I watched the first season anyway. I was intently watching because I, I wanted to see if there was anything I could come up with that, that I wasn't doing or whatever. And you know, I wanted to see what everybody else was doing. And and Howard, at one particular point, said to me, "Why are you watching this stuff?" <laughs> <laughs> It's, it's the the impression I got from Howard was is once once he did him that was it you know I uh, once again I'm not name dropping but I did a, a part uh, in in a movie with Henry Fonda once uh, and I got to know him very well he was really a nice guy and he was very nice to me so I started asking him stuff about uh, about some of these you know movies and he would inevitably say I've never seen it what he said nah he said I don't, I don't like to, I don't like to watch myself. I just do them. I I, I don't watch them.
1: I I think there are a lot of performers out there that that really don't feel comfortable watching themselves, but I, well, like what you said, you can learn from Uh,
0: it. Well, you can, I, as it's going along, there's no question about it. I used to watch myself on when we went to live tape on the soaps, you know, and it's very odd because I, I can see some of those, those things that I have on, on tape. It all depended on that day on how good the uh, rabbit ears were <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> as, as to what the quality was when I was taping them off the air. But I must admit that these days when it comes to the KRP thing, I kind of avoid. But even when I happen to see one, it's odd because I can treat it as though it's somebody else. I can watch it and say, oh, that was that was a funny bit. As though the the Travis guy is not even me. It's 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 just somebody else.
1: Some distance from it, and strange. it's you performing a character.
0: Yeah, and and so I just I just look at it as though it's like somebody else.
2: So, as Gary Sandy, could you evaluate Andy Travis as a program director? Did he do a good job?
0: Well, I think also that had a lot to do with the uh, with the writing. Uh, Hugh was smart enough to hire uh, uh, guys around uh, who uh, were part of either Ohio or radio. Uh, Dan Gonselman. Dan Gonselman is from yeah. Ohio, so he would know names of cities like Wapakoneta. <laughs> <You know? Yeah. laughs> I mean, you'd have to be from there to know that. Steve Marshall. One of the first things I ever did, KNX-FM was the big uh, FM station in Los Angeles. And I called and um, got a hold of the program director, Steve Marshall, and asked if I could come over and talk with him at the station. So I came over and asked him a bunch of questions about program directors and what you do and what you do and how's this and what's that and all this kind of stuff. And then he handed me a script. And he said, I've written this for the show. Could you give this to Hugh Wilson? I said, no. I said, listen, he won't take it seriously. If I hand it to him, he's going to put it down. He won't do it. I said, here's what you need to do. You need to go through these channels and you get it to him. And he did. And Hugh hired him and he quit the job at KNXFM and came over on the writing staff. So I had a real program director on writing staff.
1: We found his notice in the Los Angeles Times when he was leaving. And two weeks later, he was in the writer's room. He just walked out of the program director's job and walked right into the writer's room.
0: That's fantastic. I, I,
1: if I came across one of
0: which, hey, you know, I've heard from countless people to say that uh, that, that show and you are responsible for me being in radio uh so if Andy would be me. Travis i'm, came I'm in that too a, oh well there you go if, if comes off as a real program director <laughs> it's because it's because of uh who uh who hugh wilson surrounded himself with
1: well i i gotta tell you this story i walked into my first professional radio station job three months before my 16th birthday and my program director walked over and introduced himself to me and said he was the program director and i said oh so you're andy travis he smiled real big and said yep i'm andy travis oh wow You know, and it was uh, my idea,
0: but pro or con, whether it was a stupid one or not, to um put in um, I don't know what what was the publication, is Radio Digest or uh, broadcasting national thing. I put it in there that that uh, that Sandy as uh, as Travis on KRP was looking for uh, bumper stickers from all their stations. And I talked you into letting me let me put those stickers all over the the walls of the uh, of the office, and then the uh, and the Jennifer the 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 live character uh makes fun of it when they when they redo the lobby <laughs> yes is, well it's better than bumper stickers
1: <laughs> yeah <laughs> now, we found the the notice where you put out that request we've got that article where you put out that request. Really? Now, oh cool yeah yeah we've got a copy of that what i want to know is where did those go what happened to that wall of bumper stickers? oh i don't know i mean i don't know that it would be that sec set
0: decoration so i don't know uh I don't know what they did with them. I, unlike a couple of things that I took with me from the soaps, I don't remember. Oh, the only thing that I really do have, which is pretty daggone cool, there's a, a jacket that I ask wardrobe that I could have. And I think I only wore it one time. It's a, it's a black jacket with orange sleeves like the Bengal colors. And uh, they have uh, KRP uh, across it. It's really a cool jacket. So I've got that along right next to in the storage, right next to um, a, a jacket that has on the back of it. It says great balls. And there's these shooting fireballs on the back of it. And on the front of the jacket, it says killer. Jerry Lee Lewis uh, who I who I know because I was trying to get the rice to play the life story of Jerry Lee. And uh, so I know Jerry. And so I'm down there. He opened up a restaurant in uh, in Memphis one time and I went down to for the opening of the restaurant. And so I'm over at his house and uh, he comes out with this jacket on. And I said, oh man, is that cool. He says, oh, you like this jacket, Gary? Here you go, boy. Go ahead and take it. And I oh, said, my gosh. Jerry, I said, Jerry, I'm taking this jacket. He said, <laughs> yeah, go ahead. And and so it, that's really cool. And then another one is uh, Elvis in concert uh, given to me by uh, a, a DJ by the name of George Klein, who was at Elvis's wedding uh, and who did uh, the uh, Elvis radio thing for XM radio for a long time. He took off this jacket that he had on his back, uh, taken care of business and said, you know, hey, I want you to have this. And so that's oh, cool nice.
1: too. I'd be careful playing Jerry Lee Lewis in a movie. You might wind up addicted to something. <laughs> oh man. Jerry he's,
0: he's, life. He's, he's he's, Oh, what a, what a life. I, I tell you, uh, nice. one of the, one of the coolest things that ever happened. Uh, he's playing this, uh, over in Indiana. Uh, he was playing this, uh, riverboat casino or whatever um, on this barge, a big, big showroom. And, uh, so I, Go over, and I uh, got a seat, and then I went backstage and went into his dressing room. And because uh, I was friends not only with him but with his uh, road manager, a guy by the name of J W Whitten, and uh, so I'm sitting there. It's just me, J W, and Jerry, and I said, uh, uh, "Listen, Jerry," I said, "You probably need to sort of like you know you, you get your get yourself together uh, to go out there." He said, "What?" I said, "You probably need a little time alone by yourself to get yourself together from." no, I don't need any time. What are you talking about? It was like the strangest thing for him that somebody would say you'd probably need to prepare. There's no pre- preparation. you know. And he was like, no, I don't need to do anything. I said, well, I need to get out there because I'm going to lose my seat. And Jada, he and says, no, no, don't worry about it. He said, don't worry about it. I said, I'm telling you, there's a big crowd out there and I'm going to go out and I'm going to lose him. He said, don't worry about it. So anyway, finally Jerry says, "Okay, we got we got about a minute before I go out there. I guess we better go." And so I said, "All right, good good show, Jerry." So we walk down the hallway. JW picks up a folding chair, opens up a door, and it's the stage. And he <laughs> takes the folding chair and puts it right next to the piano and says, "How about that for a seat?" There you go. And I'm seated on stage oh. with Jerry during his show. <laughs> that is I, awesome. That was just that was one of the I I dropped my drawers. He he said, how about that for a seat?
2: Oh my gosh. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I've I've, heard it, I've had a pretty interesting life, really, truly.
2: You you have met some met
1: some amazing people. Yeah.
0: Oh, absolutely. You know, the first Broadway show I did was uh, a thing called Saturday, Sunday, Monday. It was uh, uh, written by uh, the Italy's foremost playwright, and it was done by the uh, the National Theatre, Olivier, and everybody else in London, and then they bring it to the states, and it's directed by Franco Zeffirelli. I found myself in this play about Italians, and directed by Zeffirelli. And so I became friends with Zeffirelli's secretary, Carol Caruso. And Carol says, uh, Franco wants to know if you want to go to his opening uh, uh, tomorrow night after rehearsal at the Met. He had directed some opera at the Met. So I got to sit in the director's box with Franco Zeffirelli at the Metropolitan <laughs>
1: Opera. <laughs> I mean, it's like, it's just some fun stuff, you know. Can you give us a rundown? You talked about getting the script on Friday after you'd wrapped the show and you'd have a script ready for, you'd do a table read on Monday morning. How did a week kind of unwind? It was, every episode was made pretty much from Monday to Friday,
0: right? You know, like I say, Friday, the script would be in your dressing room. You could read it over the weekend. And then uh, Monday would come around. It's like 10 o'clock. I think we had to be there maybe 10 or 11, maybe even 11 on Monday. I don't know. And we would do a table reading, uh, which took like, you know, half hour. And uh, they'd say, okay, uh, lunch. (laughs) And then you'd go to lunch and the guys would go up and they would start writing. So by the time you come back from lunch and went down to the set, that was one of the good things about KRP. I'm not sure whether the other sitcoms did it the same way. I don't know. But we got we rehearsed on the set. So you got a feeling of, you know, of of what things you could do in Travis's office because I'm rehearsing behind his desk and all this stuff and coming up with ideas and everything. And so we would do that on Tuesday, Wednesday. Thursday would be um, camera blocking where they would just assign the shots to the camera and you would do that but you'd to be running lines with people while you know while they're setting up that the, the camera twos, cutting to camera four or whatever close up or wide shot or whatever and you'd still be saying "Oh howard let's run those lines and so we'd be doing them so then you would once again go home after they had the whole um uh, shot sequence ready and then you come back on friday going to makeup. At like 10 or 11 or whatever it is. And then they would start doing that shooting of the of the show slowly. Well, when I said slowly, I don't mean that you slowed down any of what you had rehearsed the scenes. The scenes clipped along the same way. But if there was any mistakes made, you would say, OK, let's let's do that scene again and then move on after you had it uh, in the can. And then that night you would go maybe eat a little bit in your dressing room or something like that. Then seven, seven thirty or whatever it is, the audience would come in. And you would um, go out and, in front of an audience. And I've often said, which is absolutely true, I would have ventured to say that only 5%, if, if that, less than 5%, was anything that ever had to be slipped in from that afternoon. Because we were really pretty daggone good. Very seldom did we ever make a mistake. And those mistakes are on that uh, that gag reel uh, but those are some of the mistakes that were made because we just didn't make very many mistakes so the laughter that you hear is what really happened in that audience in that on that sound stage and then as soon as the thing was over he would run out and he would say alright let's hear it for the cast in the role of you know and then he'd run out and then you know take bow and stuff and then we'd wave and uh, go home. Chuck, Chuck Schnabel was the guy who was a li- liaison for CBS uh, and he would be at the table read, and man, I tell you, they gave they gave Chuck some crap. I mean, it, it, it's it's like Hugh Hugh and those guys just hardly would pay any attention. I I personally think that that's one of the reasons that Krp was canceled. Once again, you know, sound like I'm patting Sandy on the back here, but I was I was on Broadway with Pirates of Penzance. I had taken over for Treat Williams, who took over for Kevin Klein in the as a pirate king and. Penzance. And it was just like one of the highlights of my life. Seriously, it was just beyond comprehension as to how cool that was with a, you know, 30, 40 piece orchestra and stuff. Unbelievable. But I hanging around the soaps and knowing what I knew about CBS and the networks, I kept telling everybody, I kept telling Hugh and everybody, I said, something's going on. They're not over here. They're not over here with cameras backstage at uh, at pirates. I'm telling you something's going on because I knew those guys. They would take advantage of one of the one of the leads uh, in one of their shows. They would have been over there. And I'm and Hugh is like ah. Nah. I said I'm telling you something's going on. And they canceled it. And I've always felt that it had something to do possibly with the fact that Hugh and those guys just didn't pay any attention to what the network guys said at all. They would just make fun of them. And so I think that there was somebody like maybe the head of the network at that particular time that just did not particularly like uh, what was happening over there on that soundstage over at MTM. And and so it was like, I think they they had it out for Hugh.
1: Well, we've read several different places where the battles were frequent and Hugh was pretty prickly, he was kind of hard to work with and that may have been a contributor there. We've also read that Schnabel was a big uh, a big champion of the show. He was really behind you guys, yeah, he was. but he was it wasn't it wasn't as though Ch- but
0: Chuck wasn't the final word. He'd go back and report yeah. what was going on. Uh, you know, I mean it was uh, the same thing that I used to laughingly say uh what happened um, once again when I was doing the soaps? The uh, you know because th- th- they call them soaps because most of them were sponsored by Procter and Gamble. So the the guys from Procter and Gamble, you know, every once in a while, here comes three or four guys walking through with suits on and stuff, and and you could just feel that they would say to the to the writers, "I think Emily should marry Bob." <laughs> yep, <laughs> and it's like you know because someone's wife at home said, I think Emily should marry Bob. Uh, listen, why doesn't, uh, Emily marry Bob? And then, so they're already telling the writers what's going to happen. So, uh, I think a lot of times Hugh's attitude was one of like, what the hell do you know about what goes on over here? We're going to do what we want to do. I don't know. I might've bit him in the butt. I don't know. I don't know that for a fact. It's just, that's just my, uh, my opinion
1: so during during a week, was there much rewriting going on, or did the script pretty much stay- oh, all the time all the time?
0: no, 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 no. these guys are i, I I'm assuming if I remember correctly that probably we did uh, maybe they were coming down and watching it scene by scene. And maybe we'd we we'd work on a scene for like you know a couple of hours or something before we moved on to the next scene. I don't remember exactly how we did it, but the constantly there were new pages coming down, you know the pinks and the blues and the and the greens and the so you would always know what rewrite that was
1: the latest and greatest right. Let's talk about some uh so we we mentioned Edie. Edie McClurg, but you had some other recurring folks that came around, Alan M. McCleary, Hamilton Camp, Sam Anderson appeared once in each of the four seasons. I can't remember exactly, uh, as soon as you said, I
0: I know his face, as soon as you said it, I can't remember exactly what characters he did.
1: Uh, Okay, he was, (laughs) let me see if I can do this. He was the uh, immigrant guy, that got Ivan and okay. you went to his office to talk about Ivan when it was the Americanization of Ivan. He yes. was the, he was the immigrant, uh, specialist. Then he was also, uh, Mason Noble. He applied to be a DJ in the first season, walked in and interviewed uh-huh. with you. Then he was a secret right. service agent keeping less from going to see a press conference in Washington. And finally, he was the midday guy in the fourth season, Rex Earhart. That sounds familiar, yeah. Yeah, so those were his four it, that it, he played.
2: Very good, Alan. You remember I all can't
0: that one? <laughs> well, there was, but, you know, and, and, and some of the other guys, um, you know, I just, like I say, I just can't remember people's names these days. It's uh-huh. terrible. Who, what was the, the gentleman's name who was a very good actor uh, uh, who played Coach? He oh, yeah,
1: Craig uh, T. Nelson. Craig T. Nelson, Craig was, T. Nelson yeah. Right. Did the episode where Herb was drinking?
2: He and Frank Bonner had the funniest scene when they were drinking.
1: Oh, uh, and
0: uh, was Lonnie fun. was responsible for uh, getting um, uh, who played her benefactor or whatever um, um, famous movie star? Uh,
1: oh yeah, yeah, Italian Pat Pat, Riley. Pat Pat Riley did the, uh, the, the win one for the Gipper that uh, that was Lonnie's. That yeah, right, right, right. Uh, and and uh,
0: Lonnie knew him somehow or another, and and uh, you know, and and with with all due respect to uh, Miss Youngblood, who played my girlfriend. Uh, now wait a minute, see, now I'm going to right away start forgetting names again. Uh, <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll get back to that.
1: Um, well, I got I got IMDb here. We can we can cheat. We can find it. Oh oh, well, well. um,
0: a a personal friend of mine, because I used to go listen to him play all the time, was um, Juice Newton. Sure, playing with the uh, Queen of He hearts. was uh, uh, right, uh, and so I've always kind of kicked myself for uh not uh, at least uh, recommending to Hugh that Juice comes in because she was a for real singer, but Youngblood did a great job. So don't get me wrong, and 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 also I kicked myself because there's this guy who was um like the king of uh of uh, the the theater uh, when I went to college. He was a couple of years ahead of me but he was well-known. It was a guy by the name of Jim Cassidy. Cassidy was a huge guy. I mean, big. And he had a voice like Orson Welles. And I am i kicked myself, even though the guy that played the part worked at uh, the American Academy of Dramatic Arts uh, on the West Coast and was one of the uh, teachers there who played Little Ed, the wrestler. But yes. I always kicked myself for not having... Cassidy come in and meet Hugh Wilson because there's no way in the world that he wouldn't have been used because he would have been, I mean, you got to look up to this guy and he's just so imposing. He would have been absolutely brilliant. Uh, and I've always kicked myself for that, but so was the guy who, um, who did a little, ed. it was just, uh, a lot of funny stuff. I, I just, uh,
1: I keep thinking of things of like, Oh yeah, I forgot about that. Oh yeah. I forgot about that.
2: Little Ed Pembroke or something. That was
1: Michael Keenan was the guy that wound up actually. Michael, right, 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 right. And then, and then there's the guy, um, who, um, I went over to his
0: house and got a, a truck because he was, uh, getting rid of some furniture and I bought his dining room set, which was a, an antique piece. And I still have it at my farm. And, um, he was the guy that played the evangelist character that's a takeoff on. Um,
1: Clean up radio everywhere. Correct. Um, hang on. Hang on a second. I can get to that. I, he was right at the end. And, 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 and uh, a very,
0: very nice man. Very good actor. And semi looked like uh, who he was
2: supposed to be. Yes. yes.
1: Uh, well, he did go on and play uh, in the, the uh, uh, penthouse story. Or not Penis, Hustler. Who was that guy? Yeah, Richard Paul was his name. Richard Paul. Richard Paul. Richard. Richard, yeah. Yeah, and Richard so Paul. I'm over,
0: there carrying, I'm, I'm over there carrying this beautiful antique thing, and, and man, he's changing his mind. He says, oh, no. my wife is making me get rid of this. She wants modern. I, I don't know if I said, yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. I'm carrying those suckers out. As <laughs> as I
1: can carry <laughs> everything out. <laughs> Richard. Yeah, he was fantastic uh, in in that part. And that's such a great episode. Yeah, it is. Um, And once again, it's another timely thing
0: that Hugh and these guys were writing about, you know.
1: Yeah, that is Max's first writing credit. Max has the writing credit on that one. Oh, wow. He said he came in with the idea and he said Hugh wrote the show. He said, make no mistake, Hugh wrote the episode. I had the idea, but he got the writing credit.
0: Well, he was he was the last to say so. I mean, it, that, that was it. I mean, if you wanted to rewrite something, he he rewrote it.
2: Well, I have one more question for you. OK, um, Andy Travis once said if he hadn't gone into radio, he probably would have been a forest ranger. If Gary Sandy had not gone into acting, and not found KRP, what do you think you'd have done with your life?
0: Is 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 that what Travis says on 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 the show? At one point,
2: in in one of the episodes, he said he probably that is
0: really interesting.
2: For a stranger,
0: that's really interesting because I just relived just just a week or so ago Um, when I was a little kid. My best buddy, and which which is saying something, like you know, after World War II and everything like that, um, a guy by the name of Mark Yoshimura. And Mark was my buddy and uh, we ran around together as kids and stuff like that. And then, you know, around the time that um, we were out of high school and everything, um, we lost track of each other. And um, I'm driving across country. It's the first time that I ever drove cross country and I'm, I'm approaching like 30 years old because I'm going to California. And I have vi- uh, a, a videotape recorder, which was quarter inch, the same size as a cassette tape and it was reel-to-reel and you would thread it and you carry it on your side. It was a, um, uh, what was the brand, I forget. Anyway, uh, I can't watch any of the tapes because you have to have that same machine, nothing was standardized. And I'm in the Smoky Mountains and I'm in this beautiful place called Cades Cove and I'm taking the video of of this place and I turn and there's a, a, a ranger standing there and he says, what is that? And I said, oh, hi. You know, I said, it's videotape. And I look and I said, Mark? And it was oh Mark he he, he he became a ranger. So <laughs> and that's interesting that Travis would have said that. Oh, um, anyway, oh. that's just a, another wig bubble. Um, yeah, yeah. So <laughs> what would Gary say? I don't have a clue. I mean, seriously, that's all I've ever wanted to do. And I tell um, uh, kids in acting school and stuff like that, I said, listen, whether you go into this business or whether you uh, wind up doing something else, the answer is this, that if you can get paid for something you would do for free, you're home free. That's yes. it. Yes. Oh. And, I, 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 and literally, literally in my life, I have had someone tap me on the shoulder and hand me an envelope. And I say, what's that? He said, it's your check.
1: Oh, yeah. Oh my <laughs> God. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> but what? that's not what you were there for.
0: No, I, I, I just love doing it. It's just great. Now, I do have a stick in my crawl that somebody somewhere isn't paying the cast for syndication, uh, just simply because it's the principle of the thing, right. uh, but as far as doing the job, um, oh, it's, it's, it's the actor's life anyway, the countless times when you're first getting started in New York, you know, and, and you're doing something like in the basement of a church off, 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 off Broadway, or whatever. <laughs> it's, it's the line that you always hear. Now we, we really can't pay you anything, man, nah, <laughs> that's all right. I don't <laughs> care. <laughs>
1: You have said in interviews I've read where you said, sometimes it bothers you to think you might only be known for 70s sitcom, but at the same time, WKRP has opened a lot of doors for you professionally. As we're hitting 40 years since the last new one, how do you feel about the part WKRP's played in your life and in your career? Yeah, it's
0: uh, um, put me on the boards. I mean, no pun intended, because that's, uh, I I enjoy doing the theater, and uh, it's Uh, Yeah, oddly enough, I've gotten paid really good money for doing theater. more so than a lot of people can ever say. And a lot of it has to do with uh, having some recognizable face from the tube. And I can always tell when it must be out in syndication someplace, because I'll go into whatever city I'm going into to to do whatever I'm doing. And you'll start getting recognized on the street again, even with Mm -hmm. the age difference between Travis. And I can say to myself, oh, it must be it must be on the air again now. Because you'll you'll always inevitably be uh, recognized to to get a chance to do the theatrical stuff that I wanted to do and get paid well for it for uh, having that recognizable um, issue um, has been great and uh, you know we always we had to be unionized Equity um, Stage Screen Actors Guild SAG AFTRA, American Federation of Television and Radio Arts so I get. Pensions from three unions, and plus the Social Security because I'm an old guy now. Uh, <laughs> but I made more money in theater than I did anything else. That was surprising to me. I mean, uh, the I've a pretty nice pension from uh, from equity, and um, I'm, I'm 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 proud of the um, I'm proud of the um, the theater stuff. So anybody out there that ever sees me coming to your hometown um <laughs> come and see what I think I do um, better than anything
2: do you ever get down uh, to branson missouri at all
0: weird did you say that um yeah um i'm very good friends with the, the last national tour i did of, of you know where best little warehouse no, here's another big bubble thing. You know, I've done countless interviews on radio, countless, countless, countless. And uh, so I'm doing uh, uh, Best Little Warehouse in Texas, and we're out in the middle of somewhere. And we're just getting ready to go on with this interview, and I'm on the phone, and the 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 Interviewer says, "Oh, by the way, don't mention the title of the show." (laughs) Hi, we're here with Gary Sandy, and so we're going along, and I'm thinking, I'm thinking, what? And so he said uh, something about Clear Channel, and I said, "Is this a Clear Channel station?" And he said, "Yes, it is." I said, "Clear Channel is the advertiser or or the 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 producer of our show, Best Little Whorehouse in Texas," and (laughs) boom, they cut me off. Oh. They hung up, and I and I call, I pick up the phone and called the PR guy, and I said, uh, listen, here's what just happened. I said, I thought the guy was kidding, but I guess he wasn't.
2: Oh, no. So
0: when he said Clear Channel, I thought, oh, come on, this has to be a joke, because Clear Channel is the producer of the show. <laughs> so anyway, um, uh, who I need to be able to say, who I co-starred with, Ann-Margaret, has become a very good friend of mine. So it's it was kind of neat to be able to play uh, uh, one of the casinos in Vegas and have your name on the marquee with Miss Las Vegas, practically. You know, <laughs> that was pretty cool. So Anne margaret uh, has played, you know, of course, he passed away, but uh, uh, twice in Branson with uh, um Andy, Andy Williams. So yeah, so I'd go to and hang out down there with them uh, when uh, she was playing with Andy, and got to know him a little bit. He was a nice man. What a what a talented guy, and very down to earth. I I really liked him. I thought he was great. Well, a terrible thing happened that first. Uh, there were two separate years, and uh, the first year that uh, it was there, they had a huge big house for uh, Roger and, and Margaret and uh, and so I have the whole basement and everything. And so we come in after one of the shows. And we start playing music, just being you know, like, oh, I love this song. Listen to this, you know, it, it, so we had everything on stick and everything, you know. And so and we're we're, we're dancing around and and uh, uh, it, it cranked up the music and stuff. And then I had to go out to the car to get something. And I go out and we didn't know that there there were speakers outside on the patio. And I'm telling you, you could hear the music two miles away. <laughs> And I ran back in, I said,
1: oh, my God,
0: turn turn it down, turn it down. And, and, and uh, the next year when they came back, uh, they had a condo. I <laughs> <laughs> booted out of the house. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> there you go. So, yeah, I've been to Branson. Is that where you guys are?
2: Yeah, we're, we're about 20 minutes. Uh, yeah, about 20 minutes outside of Branson where we live. We're, oh, we're up north. North yeah, Branson's
0: cool. I um, uh, also um, got to know a little bit. I'm not to say it was was a buddy or whatever, but, uh, uh, and and there was an indication, uh, there was a thing of it it got me somewhere being recognized for KRP. Uh, On a rainy night, uh, and I'd seen, you know, uh, Anne Margaret and uh, Andy's show uh, several times. So I go over to uh, see uh, Mickey Gilly. Uh-huh. And uh, and I walked in and it was before the show started. And apparently like their stage manager or sound guy or something like that sees me and says, Oh my God. Oh my God. You know, and, uh, went that crap. And, uh, um, and so I said, I would really like to meet Mickey uh, after the show. Oh my God. Absolutely. And he <laughs> says, why don't you come back and
1: meet him now?
0: And so I went back beforehand and, uh, um, and he, Mickey didn't really know anything about the show. He says, oh, you don't have any idea. This guy, I mean, sir, the guy was really a fan. And and Mickey was extremely nice. And um, in the middle of the show stops and introduces me. I had to stand up and stuff like that. And he asked me, do you have any requests? And um, <laughs> and I, I said, yeah, I I, I love um, um That's all that matters to me. He said, wow. He said, we haven't done that one a lot. All right, boys. For Gary, you know,
2: <laughs>
0: so so it works to your benefit sometimes. And another uh, another uh, uh, guy that uh, has always been very nice to me since uh, his partner passed away is uh, Bill Medley. Uh, I knew Bobby Hatfield, and uh, oh sure, uh, when Bill is touring these days with uh, a guy by the name of uh, uh, Bucky as uh, uh, his th- new uh, uh, high voice guy and uh see these guys and medley is very cool and i have to stand up and wave and stuff you know (laughs)
1: hey i've got i've got one uh what's it you know
2: ask if he'll say thanks
1: for listening oh i've I've got one final question okay is there a favorite a favorite episode something that stands out that you remember
0: i'm i'm telling you it, it just it always jumped out to me, uh, you know, and maybe if I saw them all again, this wouldn't even be my favorite at all. But I always thought Lesson Than Alleged was really very inventive. I thought that was really cute. And that whole thing that that one of the funniest lines to me ever is when, you know, um, it, it Howard and, and Frank are doing that whole thing. Our you know, beautiful receptionist Jennifer Marlowe is the recipient of the world's greatest sex change operation. And Frank does that whole thing and looks at him for like 30 seconds.
2: Yeah, yeah.
1: He's silent for, and he
0: forever. Says, he, says, he says, he says, get out of here.
2: And, and says,
0: okay, and starts to leave. He says, wait a minute. They do this thing like about
1: six times.
0: Get out of here. Okay. Wait a minute. Yeah. And then and then when he leaves, the door cracks open and herb is looking at jennifer at the desk and then she notices and then he slams the door yes and then and then the next thing you see is he's pacing back and forth behind her desk pacing looking at her pacing pacing and then she turns and says herb what are you doing and he says i don't know you want to go bowling
2: i knew you were going to say that
0: come on Come on. Now, that's funny. He just, oh, ba- he just basically says in his mind, uh, it doesn't make any difference. I'm still going
1: for her. <laughs> <laughs> and, and this is this is the kind of amazing thing about WKRP. Some of the biggest laughs, your favorite episode is about a guy going to commit suicide, which you think, how do you get laughs out of that? Well, you know,
0: and, 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 and how do you get laughs? He says, uh, Richard is like he's quoting Shakespeare. Yes, and he's quoting Shakespeare, and he says something, and and uh, Gordon turns from the window. He's in the window with uh, with Herb at that particular point. He's, he says, "Dictionary, dictionary," yeah. and 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 Herb says, "Look up Bobkin while you're while you're at it." <laughs> Yeah. I mean, I guess you can make fun of somebody that's going to jump
1: because <laughs> I don't know. It's just extremely inventive. Okay. Now, just just a behind-the-scenes technical thing. What he was standing on was a set piece, right? Oh, correct. And it's only like, you know, five feet high or something, not even that, four feet.
0: Okay. Uh, enough that they can get the camera down there because because Frank falls. I, well, okay. That I was my question. Falls. He falls onto a mattress. Uh, it's pictured
1: that it's... Not as high enough that Herb would have been killed. The firemen have the nets out too. We've heard that earlier on that the nets are oh, out. Oh, okay, okay. There
0: oh, he'll you know. be okay. Uh,
1: and it's and 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 I believe the office.
0: What the office is in the FLEM building? Yes, yes. <laughs> the FLEM building.
1: So did Frank really do that fall? That was really Frank falling off there. Absolutely, that, right? absolutely.
0: Yeah, sure. Right. He's
1: kind of a daredevil, isn't right. he, Frank Bonner?
0: Oh, Frank was.
1: He was just a nice guy well he got, he know, got I, one time doing the parasailing thing and hurt his back
0: oh yeah he got hurt he got hurt he he, he really got hurt uh, uh right at the very last second or whatever i don't know if the parachute he's like you know 12 feet off the ground or whatever and yeah, the, he dropped uh, really really it or something he, t- he fell on his tailbone
1: yeah wow. Uh, we talked to uh, uh, Christian Seaborn that played. Uh, he, he played Elgar, the attorney that came in after Johnny told everybody to throw their trash down at City Hall. That was the first episode where Frank was back with the hurt back, and he said yeah, he, he was. He, he came in. He came in on crutches.
0: Yeah, yeah blood, on crutches. Elgar
1: said they were given strict instructions: don't bump Frank, don't get near him. He was sitting in a chair at the end of uh, Carlson's desk in the office. And could not move. He was just sitting there because he was in well, so you much know, pain.
0: You know the um, – uh, and th- this will be the last thing because I, I, I got to go dump my recycling. <laughs> <laughs> right. You know the story behind Richard and the, and the bandages, right? Yes. yes. Yeah. The original pilot, uh, he hit his head on a light backstage yes. and said, well, what are we going to do? It's a big deal. What are we going to do about this? And I think it was either Richard or, or you said – Put a band-aid on it. We don't have to explain it. Just put a band-aid on it. And of course, Richard takes it to the extreme and has a bandage somewhere every show.
2: Yes.
1: We did a feature. We've got a feature in every single podcast. We do the Les Nessman bandage report and tell you where that bandage is. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> That's funny. Hey, before Listen, you hey, guys, it's been it's been
0: great. I mean, you gotta you gotta say that I mean, uh, okay, so my Mike, I carried on here. Hopefully, uh hopefully you got some good stuff.
1: Can you do something for us real quick? Just say thanks for listening to the WKRP cast. Uh, shall I say my name or not?
0: Yeah.
2: Yeah, this is. Yeah.
0: Well, hello, everybody. This is Gary Sandy, and thanks for listening to the WKRP cast. Let me do it one more time. Perfect.
2: <laughs> thank you so much. Let me much. do it one
0: more time. Let me do it one more time. All right. Well, hi, everybody. This is Gary Sandy, and thank you very much for listening to the WKRP cast thank you so much all right well i tell you if i make it to branson again which i will someday um i'll uh i'll I'll look you up oh definitely
2: please do we'd love it
0: oh yeah i mean i i I dig Branson. i think it's it's neat you know as a matter of fact i was uh uh, laughing the other day Uh, the first time i was ever there having nothing to do with uh, anybody i just came through branson uh, and stopped and uh, saw a um oh, I know what it why it was. I did a um underscored the whole thing. It was a World War one piece of uh, called Billy Bishop Goes to War about a flying ace a flying ace. and he so he and we would sing one World War One songs and he would play the piano and underscore the whole piece. Anyway, he was a part of a um, of a country band that was playing uh, Branson. So as I came through, I went to see these guys play. I got to laughing because one of the songs that they that they sang, which was a um, a uh, uh, written by one of the guys in the band was I could tell by the way she was all over him, that she was all over me. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. I, I thought that was a great title. <laughs> I'll see you guys. OK,
2: thank you very much. Thanks, Gary.
0: Ah, you take care. Good talking with
2: you. Thanks again to Gary Sandy for helping us cap off the series in style.
1: Although we do have one more episode. It's not even really an episode. It's more like housekeeping we need to take care of, but it should be fun. Next week, don't miss our Misses and Messes episode. It's a rundown of the podcast, pointing out many of the things we missed and explaining some of those things we messed up.
2: So until next week, my children.
1: That's going to do it for this episode of the WKRP cast. If you'd like to watch along with us, you've still got time. Get those DVD box sets and check our show notes. You can find us on social media. Follow our Facebook page at WKRP cast for more wkrp fun become a patron go to patreon.com slash wkrp for behind the scenes fun full interviews and
2: more got a question comment or correction let us know about it write us wkrpcast at gmail.com
1: and remember to please rate and review us on apple podcast thanks for listening bye now may the good news be yours WKRP Cast is not endorsed by MTM Enterprises, Shout Factory, or CBS. This podcast is intended for entertainment and informational purposes only. WKRP in Cincinnati, the WKRP logo, and all names, pictures, and audio of WKRP in Cincinnati characters are registered trademarks of MTM, CBS, Shout Factory, or their respective copyright holders. most forgot, fellow babies. Booger! <laughs>